0: I am uh, now joined uh, by Daniel Bessner Uh, People know Danny, he has been on the show like a hundred times But since the last time uh, He and Derek Davison have started a podcast of uh, their very own uh, Which which maybe we can hear about at some point, American Prestige Uh, And um, also by Matthew Sitman and Sam Adler-Bell uh, who have each been on uh, one time each. And uh, they, of course, are the, uh, the co-hosts of, um, honestly, one of the only left podcasts I actually listen to. Uh, <laughs> like, this is, like, completely true, because uh, I, I, I have, like, 500 friends who, who have podcasts, and they all do good work. Uh, but there are only so many hours in a day and days in a week, and, you know, there are things to do other than listen to podcasts. Uh, but so, um, so so in practice, like, you know, I'll, I will catch an episode of other shows when it's, uh, when uh, they're of particular interest, but the, uh, but two of like three or four that I, you know, like, out of the ones that I listen to consistently, it's like, I don't know, Chapo, Know Your Enemy, and like, rotating third podcast. So, yeah. Um, Danny's,
1: pod, Danny's podcast
2: Yeah, my podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that, that, one just, that one just started There, are only, How many episodes of, of it are there right now? Four four. Okay, alright, so I am not caught up But I will be uh, In uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, Before you and Derek are on to talk about that uh, But as not What we're here to talk about right now uh, what, uh, what we're here To talk about right now Is um, uh, Well, okay, first of all uh, I have a bone to pick with you guys, which is that um, it makes me a little angry. Uh, as a regular listener of Know Know Your Enemy that um, that uh, the the Patreon doesn't include the like regular episodes. Like like you got to yeah. post those on the Patreon, so you can just listen to everything from there. You don't have to go back and forth between that and the podcast feed. That's my that's my main complaint. Um, but as a distant secondary issue, uh, <laughs> on uh, on the last. Uh, uh, the last episode of the podcast, I should say, by the way, for people who are who are watching or or who listen to this when we put it out in the f- podcast feed, who are not uh, know your enemy listeners, uh, that uh, the main uh, the main thing that the uh, that the show does is talk about conservatism, uh, and um, you know, which is something that. Uh, matt has has uh personal roots in it, you know that there's a there's a line that's often quoted in discussions of matt about how he uh uh was born with a uh with a gun in one hand and a king james bible in the other uh <laughs> i've never let that down you've
3: <laughs> realized uh, in the new yorker but um
2: How'd that get past the fact checker?
3: <laughs> I know it's that's the kind of thing
2: where they they'll tell you like they'll they'll correct a fact like that the steak was on the left side of the plate instead of the right side of the plate, but they they won't correct whether you were literally born with a King James Bible in one hand and a gun in the other.
3: It wasn't literal, but it was pretty damn close. I, gotta <laughs> say, I really got to say, um...
0: yeah. So and, and and the fact that you do um, not only come from those, you know conservative familial roots but you know but have a adult history in the in the conservative movement uh and uh you know before you you know before you became a leftist uh you know really makes the podcast something unique because uh you know it it goes through all of these um sort of strands of conservative thought that uh that you know a lot of us wouldn't necessarily know existed or wouldn't know the differences between them and i often think about how it's remarkable that they're there's no equivalent, right? On the right, right? There's no right-wing podcast where they all know exactly what the difference is between a Trotsky and a Shackmanite. and uh, and they 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 do you know they do deep dives into uh, into left history, uh, but in um, in this case, uh, what you were talking about was uh, January 6, which you you have talked about in the, on the podcast before, uh, and and I think it's a you know and it's a natural. Um, subject right because uh because of the the interest in conservatism uh but uh you you also took a moment uh to uh talk about the reactions of what uh you call the ideological left which by the way i'm not quite sure what that means did we really say that
2: ideological left yes
3: that's
0: such a weird phrase
2: that's not that's not meant as like ideologically aligned with the left
3: okay that's not a you know Well, well i should say Ben, i don't doubt that we uh, said that but it's not a phrase i would use in a more composed um situation you know when you talk for 90 minutes sometimes you say things that you don't always come out quite right uh, matt matt's
2: being I, apologetic
3: I, but i held back i had all have
2: terrible things to say about both of you I'm okay, really well, that, was, that i'm okay now,
0: to... now is the time i yeah. mean this,
3: this is exciting <laughs> uh so um, i'm just agreeing it's a, it's not a it's a it's not a precise okay. phrase. It's not a precise okay. phrase. It's uh, right. not a very euphonious phrase. Or <laughs> <laughs> Willie Nelson's great term, me, it doesn't sound good. So I do apologize for that. Right. But yes, all in right. addition to being a podcast about conservatism, we also pick on Ben and Danny. Uh, yes, all the time. Like that's the
0: other main um, subject of the podcast. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why it's, and Sam and that's I why it's to... one of the only ones I listen to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what they're saying about us. Um, which is actually funny because the, uh, the other one. Um, the other one that I mentioned, Chapo Trapas, also accidentally did, like, this is a true thing. They had, uh, there was an episode where Matt Crisman made like 20 references in a row to a like cop who there was some conspiracy theory about. And I don't remember what the dude's actual name was, but he kept saying Ben Burgess. So uh, this is a this is a thing that happened. Uh, You got
2: cop jacketed by Chapo Trap House.
0: I did, yes. (laughs) But um, but uh, in um, in talking about this, uh, you you were talking about different ways that you know the people on the left have uh, you know made sense of what happened or tried to you know to to analyze what happened. Uh, Certainly whatever you make of it, a very shocking event. Uh, And uh, you referred to an article that Danny and I had uh, written for Jacobin, uh, which came out on uh, January 15th called uh, Trump is a threat to democracy. uh, But uh, that doesn't mean he's winning, which is, was an attempt to uh, intervene in two related debates that um, that one of which had been you know going on for years but you know with increasing intensity, which was the debate about fascism analogies uh, for um, for Trumpism for mega and uh, the other one uh, which was related certainly in many people's uh, usage of it was the uh, was the, the coup debate about uh, about January 6th, uh, which which certainly many people on the left you know anecdotally at least, uh, you know, we' combine those and say uh, what what happened on on January 6 was uh, it was defeated, you know, but it was a fascist coup. that's 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 how that's how they would define it. Uh, and Danny and I were, were were pushing back against that both on the uh, the merits uh, and and then also trying to explore why it matters, right? like because I could I could see somebody, reading the whole thing otherwise and thinking, okay, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're right, but like, who cares? Uh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah you know, no. it's, it's like, uh, I remember uh, Amber Frost on Chapo having a uh, joke once right after Trump was elected where she's making fun of people, you know, saying it's like, Oh no, technically, you know, it's only, it's only fascism if it comes from the Vichy region of France, you know, as otherwise it's just a sparkling, you know, whatever. Uh, so, so, so we didn't want to fall into that. Right. We wanted to say, no, right we don't think it's right and also here's why it matters Mm -hmm. uh so i've been talking for a while who wants to pick it up from here
3: uh well i i have one quick comment which is to say that um uh we mentioned you in the episode we did on the aftermath of one six which we did um it's not our quite our most recent episode um we we just a few days maybe a week ago published one with Sam Goldman on his new book on nationalism, but it was a pretty recent episode. So it was a few months after the fact. So our, our, we call it the, the aftermath of January 6th, kind of like how it's lived on in the public imagination, how it's fit into the discourse, how different, you know, factions have talked about it uh, in the weeks and months since. Um, But we also, I think, I can't remember if we mentioned a specific article from the two of you You or if we just kind of, uh, uh, reference both of you in the context also of our fascism debate uh episode which came out i think in january of this year so when i said we were picking on you
0: it, it was in the plural um yeah, yeah. So well, well, once i i ahead, I, 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 guess, I guess to be clear you picked on danny twice but uh, the, uh, on, uh on, on, on me just the once and in that context uh you were talking very specifically about the the article that, that Danny and I uh wrote yeah. for for Jacobin there were, there were some quotes from it there were specific references yeah. so maybe 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 the most useful way to structure this um would be we could we could start with Danny and talking a little bit about what the the point of that article was and and then we could get into the critique uh i, I just yeah. want to make one yeah, yeah, please, intervention please.
3: which is to say yeah. you might say we're picking on you but actually um the fact that we've mentioned Danny twice uh in these contexts is uh uh a kind of nod of admiration or something because, you know, we're, you know, in these kind of ideal types, we sketch out on some of these episodes, uh, you know, we're, you're representative of a smart leftist who we think uh, doesn't quite agree with us. And so the fact that we've referenced you twice, it's actually an homage, not a, um, <laughs> Series of bullying. Uh, <laughs> That's so why
1: I, I didn't feel bullied. I don't think it's possible <laughs> for me to feel bullied. But thank you. I, I do appreciate. Uh, it. I under. I yeah. I, I understood. It we had. We it. we picked
2: the strongest arguments. You know, mm-hmm. it's like instead of we steal man. man. Yes. yes. So, so if uh, we were to we could we could pick on all kinds of other uh, dumb leftists, but we choose a a, a a a scarily smart one instead. So
1: well, thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you. Uh, so maybe we could. I could just state my position and sure. then we can go from there. Sure. Um, so on the fascism question, um, which has gotten a lot of play, so I'll be brief, um, on one hand, I don't think it resembles what most Americans think about or are referencing when they say fascism, which is generally, I would say, 95% of instances, Nazism, and maybe in 4.5% of instances, Italian fascism, and then in 0. 05 of uh, instances, Argentina or something like that. And for the ones that I know best, I'm a, I'm a European intellectual historian, um, at least partially by training. Uh, it doesn't really resemble fascism uh, of the classical European variety. So empirically, I would say that's incorrect. Um, then I would my critique is that also historically, when one is looking at the actual formation of the American national security state, um, the, you, generally in reference to foreign policy, but also in reference to domestic carceral logics, um, domestic security logics. when you look at the formation of these state forms, you know, during and after World War II, um, one of the most powerful arguments uh, arguments in favor of them was that uh, in order to defend against fascism, you needed to build such a state form. You need to actually embrace some fascistic or what they would usually term at the time, totalitarian features in order to defend against fascism. So throughout, and this is is an argument that's repeated in 1968. Uh, This is an argument that's repeated throughout the second half of the 20th century. It's an argument that becomes powerful after 9-11. And so the argument for fascism, the diagnosis of fascism has, been used historically over and over again by the power elite that i would argue has the most power in our society to justify what i would say are anti-democratic and anti-leftist measures Now, one could point to other traditions of the the, the diagnosis of fascism, um, particularly the black radical tradition. And I understand and respect that, that not everything needs to be what I focus on. But I would argue that empirically and given the current power constellation of the United States, um, the the liberal diagnosis of fascism fascism is what we on the left have to primarily worry about. when, When someone like David Brooks is identifying fascism, he's not doing so in the black radical tradition. Then I would argue that today, um, since nine eleven in particular, uh, there's been a uh, gross inflation of both foreign and domestic security threats, uh, and that this inflation of threats, um, which is basically it's like it's like water, it's it's the air we all breathe. It's like water if you're a fish. It's it's the air we all breathe. Um, this is just what we do in this country, particularly in the last twenty years and our basically lifetime uh, lifetimes as adults is we inflate threats. Um, and I, I think, in, again, empirically, if if one is to diagnose Trump as a fascist, um, then one has to diagnose Obama, Bush, Clinton, many, many other American presidents as a fascist. And, and one might very well do that. But again, that was not the tenor of what people who actually hold power in this country were doing when they diagnosed Trump as fascist. And then... Um, Uh, So that's my criticism of the fascism debate, and as you guys noted on your podcast, this bleeds into the debate about insurrections, Uh, and I would argue that calling what happened on on January 6th um, an insurrection um, is is incorrect again uh, empirically and is, is foolish politically. Um, There have been insurrections in this country, uh, obviously, most famously uh, the Civil War, Uh, but even, you know, if you look at the Reconstruction era, I posted about this on Twitter, like genuine insurrections where armed mobs forced governors out of office and had to be put down by the military. Um, And I don't think what happened on January 6th even approaches that. And again, politically, given the power constellation of the United States, I think diagnosing it, overinflating what happened on January 6th, does nothing but play into the hands of the security state, which has only grown more and more powerful over the last 75 years, really over the last 20 as well, uh, and has already made uh, noises about DVEs, domestic violent extremists, that have a lot to do with um, uh, that, that will will undoubtedly not redound to the left's benefit. So I think it's also foolish uh, politically uh, to do that. Um, And before I'm seeing some chats, like some, some definitions of fascism. Like, I I just want to say, like, I know all that stuff. I'm I'm trained in this stuff. Um, There are many disagreements about what does and doesn't constitute fascism. Different people say different things at different times. I'm not particularly interested in the sort of checklist diagnosis of fascism. I don't think that's a particularly useful way to use analogies. Um, And I'll end it there.
0: Yeah. So I I am... uh trying to be conscious and and we'll try to be conscious as we go forward of my uh, awkward dual role as, as, as a, uh, as, as the person managing the conversation and as the co-author of the article. (laughs) Uh, So I obviously have views on this, but, um, but, but I, I did just, just to slip into the second one a little bit. I mean, I I think one way to, to maybe sharpen one of Danny's points and to relate it to uh, Matt and Sam's interests uh, is that it also seems to me that, um and you know one of the points you made on the on the podcast which is totally right is if something's true it it shouldn't matter what the political valence is you should just say the true thing and then like you know and then figure out the you know the the politics from there uh i and i'm i'm on board with that and danny's like i th- i think is on board with that I, I i think that our purpose was to say this is what we think is true and here's why we think it, it matters, but, but just to, just to dwell for a second on the, here's why we think it matters. Uh, I think that, uh, a big part of the political upshot, uh, very frequently of, uh, of fascism comparisons for, uh, for, for Trumpism and, you know, is, uh, is to, is to like highlight or, or claim this, this big discontinuity, you know, between, between Trumpism and, uh, well, you know, previous forms of conservatism, and and uh, in particular, often Bushism, because some of the people who were pushing this analogy were like literally former Bush administration officials, like David Frum, uh, and, uh, and and that that's one of the reasons it interests me that you guys have the position that you do, because like I don't remember. Which of you tweeted this? I think maybe Matt, but it could have been Sam. Uh, that they, that which is a tweet that I completely agree with. You know, you said they, like what Trump was was just the 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 progression that Lee Atwater was describing run in reverse right so like there's this famous quote from from lee atwater where he's saying you start out saying the n-word a lot and then you know and then as as sensibilities change you have to start talking about well forced busing and then you know eventually it's like welfare and taxes and it becomes super abstract uh and and you're saying well this is you know basically like what american conservatism is just being less disguised which which strikes me as a point that's pull it in the opposite direction from where people are at least very often going when they make the fascism analogies.
2: Well, Matt, do you want to respond first or that sounds like a Matt tweet to me?
3: Yeah, no, I did tweet that the Lee Atwater was my tweet, which, uh, you know, I, I, I think I tweeted that in the context of, you know, uh, J.D. Vance's ongoing uh, kind of pathetic attempt to be like the Trumpist candidate in the Ohio Senate race, when Josh Mandel's out there, just like, you know, giving people the real shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ben, this was, I think you replied to my tweet about this. Uh, that, yeah. Like, you know, you, you're not going to want empty filler after you've had the good stuff. Yeah. And Trump gave him the good yeah. stuff, which is to say, I mean, it's kind of one of the cliches, of the Trump era saying the quiet part out loud, which I, I hate that line, but there is some truth to it oh. in that, You know, Trump just said Mexicans are rapists. Right, right, right. You know, he didn't feel the need to like make some other argument about wages for native born workers uh, and that kind of thing. You
0: just just really classed up what what my actual response was, which was, uh, That after people have been snorting the pure uncut Trump for four years, they're not going to want the stuff that's been stepped on three times and mixed with baby laxatives. (laughs) Which, you know, I lived in Miami for six and a half years. These are the analogies that come naturally to me. But uh, Matt, please. Uh,
3: And I'm just going to keep this quick because I want Sam to hop in. But I I do think you've identified something interesting, which is that um, we probably take one's have a more dire interpretation of one six in some ways than you and Danny. I don't know what the right word is. Dire is what I use, but, um, fill in, you know, with what you want. Sure. Um, Seems good. I, on our fascism episode, I actually kind of landed with Robert Paxton. One six kind of put me over the edge to, to call Trump or Trumpism, something like fascism. There's all kinds of qualifications I would make to that. But, um, but nonetheless, uh, as, as you're indicating, we, um, uh, we kind of hold that position as we um differ with you in other ways. <laughs> on the on the on a, on our
2: fascism episode, I I, I came down on the other side. I said it wasn't yeah. fascism. Uh-huh. It's the same I kind of disagreed with But each we one. but we but the the I mean it might not be obvious to your audience because um kind of this is it's sort of the way this is being set up, it sounds like um we're on the side of it's definitely fascism and one six was definitely a coup, yeah. which has not been what we've said on the podcast or uh, on either of those episodes. Really, the fascism debate episode, um, which I think is a really good one worth listening to, even though we were picking on Danny. Um, we uh, we tried to, like, show the whole contours of the debate, you know, try to try to show like, what all the positions are and what and really do and talk about the stakes like um, sort of what's the submerged debate that's going on when uh, when we do, when, what do we talk about when we talk about fascism kind of or Trump, uh, what do we talk about when we talk about Trumpist fascism? Um, and I think with the six thing, we kind of did the same thing. We were, we were arguing for a slightly different interpretation of the event and putting it in a, a slightly different context than we'd seen it been put in, which is sort of the trajectory of like militia um, and far right extremist mobilization over the course of the year. Uh, but not. Um, but then, but overall, we were trying to do a similar thing, which is like how are different factions, mostly of the right, but a little bit on the left, um, like metabolizing this event. How is it informing the way that they're talking about politics now, and how, how has their story changed? Because the right story has changed a lot. You know, um, something I noted that was interesting in your rereading your 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 piece from January, I noticed the line where you referenced how Sam Moyen, um identified this moment where it seemed like maybe the, maybe the right was going to use one six to sort of Trump wash themselves. And by, by vociferously declaiming that event, uh, seek some kind of absolution for themselves for having participated actively in Trumpism for the whole time he was a president. Uh, of course that hasn't happened at all. Right. <laughs> um, that's one of the only things really in your piece that I thought like, well, they just really didn't know <laughs> that that wasn't going to happen. Most of the most couldn't of the known. pieces,
3: yeah, you yeah, couldn't I, have.
0: I'd actually forgotten that we said that. Uh, I I had my my line. What it says in the description for for this on YouTube even is is that I think, uh, which I do think overall that the analysis of of the. That's made in the piece has actually been strongly confirmed by Revelation since then, but um, and made stronger. But that that is an exception. I will I will I will I will I, I will I will certainly give you that. That is yeah. Not open
1: the oh, t- TBD. Which, it depends what happens in the midterms. Yeah, sure. Then that the, the, the political valence I think of Trumpism is 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 very much remains an open question. Yeah, I don't think that's been solved by any stretch of the imagination at this moment. Yeah, um, I think it'll be it's sort of feel-
0: uh, okay. Certainly the last six months, uh very few Republicans have done that. That's true.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, I again I think TBD. Yeah.
2: Um but anyway, so my overall point was just like unfortunately for your audience, they're not gonna get like the showdown between the it's fascism, it was a coup, uh ar- uh argument and your guys' um very compelling and nuanced argument. Um well, I mean it depends on which you wanna get in, Matt?
3: uh no i don't want to interrupt you keep going well i a longer point to make
2: okay yeah. well i mean why why don't you why don't you go ahead because i i i was going to change the subject
0: too oh yeah okay. would be before matt goes i should say that the uh, that uh you can watch last wednesday we actually kind of did that and then oh also, good also if you haven't gotten enough of it i spent like an hour and a half kind of doing that with david feldman uh you know uh, last 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 week so i'd, I'd I planned this out. I had the, those both of those things scheduled before this, but like I sort of had it planned out because I thought, okay, this will be nice, right? So we can do the like sort of intense version of it that's yeah. like kind, of, kind of YouTube plastic. and then we can do the version of it where we like I don't know, sip bourbon and quote Corey Robin and shit. And this is the uh, this is this is what I figured I'd have with you guys. Okay. So, I am um, I am
2: indeed sipping bourbon. Um, so I'm I'm holding right, my end, my end of the bargain.
0: Very good. that uh,
3: Um. Yeah, so uh, my before I handed the baton over to Sam, I've been editing all day, so my mind kind of blanked. But uh, what I was really going for was that we uh, at least uh, maybe are more sympathetic to the fascism position than than you and Danny, Um, even though Sam and I kind of landed at different places. But uh, we take that position while we affirm the continuity of Trump with a lot of what came before him, especially on the right, but maybe not certainly not only on the right. and the the theme of continuity and discontinuity is one we've wrestled with a lot on the show. But I think one of the continuities that Trump represents is, uh, you know, the kind of backlash politics that really started in the wake of the civil rights movement. And so one of the things we did in the fascism episode was kind of make an argument that in the American context, because I'm actually sympathetic to a lot of um, arguments, uh, including some of the ones you made in your Jacobin piece that, you know, really situate fascism in a very particular historical context. Um, I'm sympathetic to that, to kind of say that these were particular conditions at a particular time that produced a particular response. And if the conditions aren't the same here right now, then it's going to be a little different. But I also think that uh, provides an opportunity to think about what, well, what in the American context, something like fascism, fascism looks like and one of the places we landed was that you know really multiracial democracy has only existed in the united states to the extent it has which you know it's threadbare but you know since the 60s right so 50 or 60 years and um that maybe you know what we're really seeing on the right uh that kind of Uh, the fascism debate helps us have some categories to think through is the way that we're really seeing in Trump the culmination of a decades long backlash against multiracial democracy in the United States. And one six was kind of this violent exclamation point on, you know, that whole trajectory, especially the way Trump intensified it. And, you know, uh, it, I thought the symbolic value that it was, you know, literally storming the capital was God. You know, really um, important. So that was kind of like one of the broader, like, conceptual things we did in the fascism episode. Was to- I, I, oh, I just go ahead on that exact point? I just have a
1: direct question. I just, as a leftist, why do you hold the capital in such high esteem? Why is this so important to you? Well, because it's it uh, it was,
3: well, because what was happening in that building was uh, counting the votes. That you know was the procedure that. So it's procedural. Prepared... No, 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 no. Let me finish. It was about the peaceful transfer of power. They were saying this guy who won eight million more votes than the other guy didn't deserve to be, you know, should not be president, and they were trying to stop it because they were literally counting the electoral college votes that you know would have. Uh, you know, that, that, that that's involved in doing that. But I that
1: mean, never really was ever – that was never going to happen. I mean it was never not going to be a peaceful transfer of power by any stretch of the imagination. And it seems well, to me that a lot of this sort of like hand-wringing over, over over January 6th really involves a violation of a holy site, like this hyper-nationalist holy site, which no, – No, no, me- I no. Don't, I don't think it's
3: a, a holy site or something. I'm just saying what was happening there is they were literally counting the votes – electoral college votes that would make joe biden president
2: but that was never going to
3: not happen yeah but he was saying the symbolic value well i mean mean, let me say this this is why i don't call it a coup like i do think the language of coup is mistaken i i think you know i I don't want to quibble about terminology but i'm just saying like i i take part of your point which is why i don't call it a coup because it wasn't going to happen yeah but what they what animated it, this this enti- you know, rejection of both anything like democracy and the peaceful transfer of power, I think, was important. And that's yeah. what separates it from like the examples in your piece of like Charles Manson. This was you know on one end of the Capitol. Um, Trump gave a speech and told people to go march. And, you know, uh, this was like the moment of decision. This was the hour of standing up and, you know, re- uh, restoring our country. And, and so that, that that's what makes it different the political valence it doesn't have to be this nationalistic sim- symbol of you know uh, that you were getting at it could just simply mean that that unlike other um, riots insurrections whatever this was very particularly aimed at uh, political outcomes and the process by which we arrive at them right so to me
1: that so, seems like a little bit of fetishization of procedure that I'm not oh, sure. Or- we're okay, fetishists.
0: Okay, 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 so this 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 could be because this this I think is is going to be a big thing, and and I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but just before we get into that big thing, uh, I I do want to just say that uh, you know like the point of bringing up Manson and uh, and the uh, the you know and 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 like the seventies uh, you know sort of sure. delusional you know revolutionary groups and all that stuff uh, was was to push back. Uh, against a very particular thing that was often said, and you know, at least um, at least in my anecdotal experience, is still very often said, right? Which is that the second you you say you question whether it's accurate or politically helpful to to sort of inflate this to to the level of a coup, uh, the the a very common response uh, on progressives and leftists is, of course, it was a coup uh, because because the the goal uh, was to uh, you know was to stop you know joe biden you know from from becoming a president and 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 that that makes it a coup it doesn't matter you know that it's uh uh you know whether not only whether it's unsuccessful there's certainly unsuccessful coups but you know it doesn't matter whether there was ever any possible version of the the universe mm-hmm. in which in which it would have succeeded uh, because all that matters is intentions and and the point is just well clearly it's not the case that all that matters is intentions right if if all that matters is intentions then I mean, you can come up with, you know, 500 examples from, from just the last few decades of people doing things that, you know, the intention in their head was to overthrow the government. But, you know, it, it wasn't going to happen. And, and we all sort of know not to take it more seriously than, than, than it deserves. Uh, I'd, also, I'd also point out, by the way, that, you know, I mean, the word insurrection is really interesting here. And, and I, I like your instinct not to get too caught up in the terminology, but it is an odd one, right? Because it's, it's one that like has not been a, it's not a word that's normally in all of our lexicons. Uh, You know, it's, it's, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's it's kind of archaic and, you know, and uh, it's also one that if taken literally has like extremely grave legal consequences. There are all kinds of things you can do during an, you know, to put down an insurrection Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're not normally allowed to do according to democratic legal norms i mean that's part of the reason that everybody uh was so horrified you know when tom cotton you know wanted to invoke the insurrection act last summer
3: Mm -hmm. so
0: can i just
2: i think i'll be able to do something helpful um because i don't think we've really just stated what our critique of the piece was straightforwardly because it's not that we disagree i mean so to 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 uh, agree on some uh premises like we say pretty explicitly on the podcast i've always said um it's a big preoccupation of mine that, like, I I don't want to expand the power of the national security state. We have basically everything that you suggested as a fear of the consequence of a sta- of a, of 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 allowing the discourse to move in the direction of coup and fascism. All of those fears we share. I mean, I certainly do. Uh, that uh, we don't want a new domestic terrorism law. Uh, we think that the power of federal investigators to uh investigate shit is where way 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 powerful enough um i share probably i'm not sure if you guys talk about this but i but i um i probably sh- share a lot more of the concerns about tech uh, content moderation than even a lot of other people on the left um i think that's pretty pretty dangerous um, i think that the like Valorization, the sort of the, the buddy buddying up to the security state in general um, that has typified some part of the anti-Trump mainstream liberalism um, sucks. I always criticize it. Um, so everything that you cite as a sort of necessary or likely outcome, I guess you don't say necessary, but a da- a, a perilous possibility of, of, of interpreting the events in particular ways we share, right? So we won't be arguing about that. Um, I think the main thing that we, we uh, the, the main critique that we had was that there's a sort of slippage between your empirical analysis and your concern about the consequences. And so like for us, I think uh, we ought to be able to have a conversation about and reckon with the threat of far right militancy of the particularly anti-democratic force of Trumpist politics of Republicanism in general, the ways in which they're continuous and discontinuous, that we ought to be able to reckon with these threats head on in a straightforward way that we should engage in that conversation. We should definitely not engage as much as we should not engage in threat inflation. We should not engage in threat deflation as a means of achieving of, of warding off the fears about the about their consequences which we all share right mm-hmm. and I think before you jump in Danny like what I want what I want is what, what I think is actually why it can be counterproductive to talk about it in those terms to conflate the empirical analysis with the consequentialist analysis is that we should be we should be thinking hard about and having arguments about why is a national security state bad as such? Why is a sort of punitive technocratic uh, 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 deep state bad uh, as such? Like how should the left talk about um, how to dismantle, how how to fight the FBI, how to, how to, how to fight the CIA, how to uh, stop. How should the left talk about these things? Um, It shouldn't be the case that the only way we can talk about them is by deflating the threats that they're supposedly right. there to fight right right because in a way in a way in a way in a way your argument suggests that if the threat was sufficient I mean, enough I'm just, I'm
0: just scrutinizing matt's face to see if this is the face but go it, on it,
2: it is he's it is uh in a way if the threat was in a way your argument implies that if the threat was sufficient enough maybe it would be justified Do you know what I mean like you're not we need to we, we it should not be the case that we have to in, deflate these threats in order to ward off this future which we agree we don't want we should tell people why the, that is bad in and of itself and we, right. are, we are we are evading those questions when we back ourselves into the fascism debate back ourselves into the coup debate instead of having the all of these kind of real real questions that are submerged and sort of obscured and everybody's talking about fascism but are they really talking about that are they talking about what the FBI should be able to do yeah. or, or or coalition politics or the popular front or what how the how the left should it orient itself to the Democratic Party those are all really interesting questions that are not Like dispositively solved by how do you interpret coup or fascism?
1: Right. So I think this probably gets to our fundamental, almost ontological disagreements. And obviously, I think the evidence is on my side. Um, I don't even think, uh, I I think the power analysis you're doing is totally wrong. Um, I don't think right wing militias, as you framed it on the podcast, or as you're framing it now, pose any serious threats to democracy in any way. I think they could do stochastic levels of violence, forms of stochastic violence. Uh, you see it with the anti-Semitic attacks, you see it with various racist attacks, and I, I admit that. But when you compare the power of the groups you're you're afraid of, you, that you say that I'm deflating the threat of to the administrative security state, it is not, not only different ballparks, it's different galaxies. You're You're, you're in my opinion, fundamentally misunderstanding and misdiagnosing where power resides in this society.
2: Now, one thing that's interesting to me, I just, I don't, I think you're mischaracterizing what I just said, but I mean, I didn't say, I didn't, I didn't establish any kind of, I I didn't make any comparison between the power of the, of the bureaucratic state or the national security state and the the power of
0: right-wing militias. So, 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 so let me, let me see if I can, I, I can see, what you are saying, because okay, uh, I, so I have like
1: a, a bomb
0: to drop. It so okay, okay. Well, before we before we drop any bombs, let's let's just do the let's just do the the argument nerd thing for a minute and, and, and see if we can figure out the structure of the claim. So um, the because it sort of sounds like so. It's either that like I, I kind of I'm curious about whether whether your critique uh, is that there's something. That we were saying uh, that in in like like that there's something we were saying that's that's actually conflating these two issues rather than just saying, "Hey, we think this is empirically wrong, and this is why it politically matters," or whether it's the like kind of engaging with the the empiric, the empirical issue at all for the purpose of of that political point implicitly grants that the that if the empirical claim was true. Then, uh, then well, the, decron- the Draconian things that actually have been done, uh, you know, to uh, to to you know, one six defendants or tech censorship, sids, etc., would be justified, or that uh, or or that more stuff would be justified because it it sort of sounds like you're making the second argument, but it, but I wonder about that because, like, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that any of us in 2002 would, would be saying, oh, well, we shouldn't even like engage with this question whether Iraq has weapons of mass destruction because, um, because by engaging with that at all, we're, we're implicitly granting that if Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, you know, then the invasion would be justified. I mean, like, like I, I certainly my, my position, I, I'm, um, Possibly the oldest or one of the oldest people here, as uh, uh, you know, at, at the time uh, was uh, was that um, even if it was true, the invasion wouldn't be justified. But it was also really important because lots of people thought it justified it to to explain that the evidence didn't support it. Or like before that, you know, in, in like late two thousand and one, uh, to to say uh, no, it's just not true that Al Qaeda represents this this massive threat to uh, the United States. Uh, even if that were true, there might be things that wouldn't be justified that were done because nothing could justify them. But like, also it's really important to establish that's not true. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, I guess I would ask you guys, what is the threat from the militia movement?
3: Well, let me, this is something I I wanted to touch on, uh, partly because Sam mentioned the militia movement, but really what we did in our 1-6 episode, the militia movement was one part of it. And, you know, we talked about some of the interesting connections between like Kyle Rittenhouse's legal team and the fundraising around him and, you know, some of these groups. And uh, but but we also situated it within the right's broader turn against democracy, which is a kind of constant theme on the show uh, that, you know, I would say liberals
1: are equally turned against democracy and have been for at least 75 years, if not longer.
3: Well, let me just make this point, uh, which is that. You know, uh, that that may be true. I mean, we live in a country where the Constitution itself is not really democratic, right? Like I have all kinds of fundamental critiques of the whole system itself. Uh, But nevertheless, I think what we're seeing on the right in the Republican Party and even among conservative intellectuals is a real kind of acceleration or explicitness about their hostility to democracy that wasn't quite there when they were talking about being the moral majority. Right. And complaining about judges like imposing elite judges imposing on a moral majority uh, values alien to, uh, you know, the American people. So we see this kind of shift from a kind of at least minimal uh, acquiescence to a democratic political order, however insufficient it might be, to explicit hostility against it. So it wasn't just the militia movements we were talking about in the context of six. We were, you know, this is why the symbolic value, uh, a term I don't love, but, um, you, you know, why it, the, the fact that the riot, insurrection, whatever you wanna call it, was aimed at the peaceful transfer of power um, was so important because it wasn't just one discrete incident that we were trying to judge. We were putting it in a context of the right's broader turn against majority rule in any sense. And um, that, I think, is a point worth underscoring here, that that was kind of the broader context of, of what we were doing. And so when you say um, in your piece, I mean, this is, you know, I, I, it's, I, I wrote this down because it jumped out at me reading again today, that the most dangerous potential consequence, of the capital storming is the overreaction of an emboldened national security state. I think maybe one way, Sam, you can tell me if you disagree with this, but maybe one way of stating the differences between us is that Sam and I might say that actually the most dangerous political consequences, consequences that next time they'll, they'll actually do it. Do what? Work. Do take over the state? No. Like uh, think about this. What if the Georgia secretary of state had not you know not gone along with trump and Wait, they I- convened like a special session of the legislature to agree to uh uh grant their electoral college votes to trump instead what do you think the military would have done i have no You've idea realized- hey, hey, this, this, is you know, parliamentary. this is purely parliamentary this is purely like trump getting the georgia state le- uh legislature to do something i don't know what the military would have done Well, all, the I'm only way is, succeed- all i'm saying is that like we're really worried that this could actually work at some point and when you look at the bevy of laws at the state level passed by state legislature after state legislature saying that Trump actually had the election stolen from him. And therefore we need these draconian voter suppression laws. Like I, that's, that's what is, you but, know, but, uh, but, but, giving but, me just, anxiety and I think at the core of our concerns.
0: But that's, but that's, but I, I wonder if there's a slippage in that this, right? You said you're worried that this might work next time. Right. And, and the, this you're describing isn't uh, a, a, like insurrectionary attack on American institutions, uh, which I mean, I don't know. no, that which is why we treat it as one data
3: point among many others. Okay, but I, I who's I mean, well, now I'm confused, but
0: okay, Danny, go, go for it.
1: Yeah, I'm actually confused as well. Matt, you should probably clarify that. I'm, I'm not
3: cur- quite sure what you're arguing. Uh, Ask me something more specific probably- All I said was that we put one six in the context of the right's broader turn against mature daring democracy. And so when uh, I think when your piece said that the, the most dangerous potential consequence is the you know, inflation of the threat and therefore uh, the overreaction of an emboldened national security state, we're just as concerned about so- some kind of mix of this tool bag the right has. Everything but, from but to, a, state legis- to state to state to legislation they're passing at the state level to you know that that the the very like minimal level of majoritarian multiracial democracy we have is very very close to going away. But,
0: then, but is yeah. that, is that something like is that thing you're identifying as a greater potential worry? Like is that something that's a potential consequence of? one6 right because we're saying that the that the the, the biggest potential consequence of six is the empowerment of the national security state in retrospect well I think that that's there's, there's definitely been a lot that's happened to validate that worry uh we also should have added uh the uh like 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 some pretty severe private yeah. sector assaults okay. on free speech uh but that they that those were the biggest potential consequences yeah. of one6 seems like what you're talking about and I understand that you're putting one six in this context but what you're really talking about is a potential consequence of just sort of a strategy that you know i mean re, you know we've all read rick perlstein i think like you know of that that's been pursued for by decades people. yeah yeah for, for for decades including including and this this might be an important point right by the lynn cheneys of the world right you know people people who who are um who are like you know neocon you know critics critics of, of, of Trump you know by them as much as by you know conservatives who who prefer the, the the Trump brand and so it seems a little off to me to talk about that as a potential consequence of one six or to say that that being a a big danger which which I I, I agree that it is yeah and no that's I mean, terrible yeah I mean, we don't support it, that yeah these I mean, voting I, these voting I, laws I, really are like really really bad yeah, and, you know, so yeah, I terrible. see what you're saying if if we
3: uh, I guess what i was trying to drive at is that Uh. we talked about one six contextually as a symptom not uh, as like the cause and and therefore um if we want to isolate it and say what are the consequences of just this one thing i i don't know what the best answer to that is because that's just not how i think about it and i think this is kind of like this weird social media age thing where something happens and you're presented with images of it online and then you try to like formulate exact right response to that very particular thing and it's precisely the kind of context that we often lose and so i i see kind of danny what you meant when you wanted me to explain more like the very particular possible after effects of one six itself taken only as a single event and i'm just saying that's not how we i've thought about it and that's not how we've thought about it on the podcast and and that's why well. we kind of i think land in different places because we see it as one more <clears throat> data point that uh you know, kind of confirms this very explicit in a new way. I mean, I don't like to lean on my time in the conservative movement, but I, I've never, he- I never heard people talk this way before. Like when I was t- 22 years old at the heritage foundation in like 2004, summer of 2004, uh, I just never, I I'd never heard anyone say the kinds of things we regularly see being said and written on the right right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of why I'm kind of alarmed because I, uh, you know the fact that it got so far, the right, the anti-democratic impulses on the right got far enough that there actually was a kind of mob that stormed the Capitol at Trump's, you know, goading to try to stop the steal, <laughs> uh, to borrow his phrase. Um, you know, that's what was alarming to to me and and to us, I think. Well, I mean, I think
1: Ben and I would both agree that like a, a lot of these right wing at- attacks are, are terrible. They're they're crimes against democracy, and we share, I think, a lot of those assumptions. But I don't see how sort of what what I would call threat inflation with. So, I mean, you I, I, we do live in a context, right? And 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 one six was used in a particular way by particular media sources that have been arguing particular things for four years under Trump, right? And and those things have a lot of power and we see it right now with the emboldening of the administrative state, which was an absolute, uh, and national security states, which was an absolutely predictable thing that happened. So I don't quite understand the connection between the, your your um, diagnosis of, and, 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 and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem like this really like bothered you, like one six like really bothered you for a lot of ways. So the, the reason, so the diagnosis of that, I don't see how that, in- any way gets us to attacking what you say is the source of the problem, I agree, which is this decades-long minoritarian project on the American right that is just basically only exists in this country due to procedural and legal institutional reasons and doesn't really have a popular base. I don't see a connection. And in fact, I would say the inflation of January 6th, the diagnosis of Trump as fascism works against actually attacking what you're right now diagnosing as your real genuine concern. And I would in fact say that the the, the approach you've taken winds up emboldening the left anti-democratic elements of the American state, which are large and which are incredibly powerful. I would say actually more powerful if you look at the federal state, it's a liberal state philosophically and an actual process um, than the right wing, which I'm also very concerned about. And is also anti-democratic.
0: Okay. There's a lot there. So I don't want to say anything. until Matt Matt and Sam had a chance to respond.
3: Tim, why don't you hop in? I kind of was going off there for a while. Sure. Um, Or do you, maybe you can even uh, clarify our, the kind of the podcast position or something. If I haven't quite. No, I think, I think you said it. I think you said it clearly.
2: I think, I mean, I think maybe part of the problem is that um, in some ways you guys don't do the threat deflation as much as people as other people, I think on nominally sort of on the left or, and especially on the right who say like, Oh, it's was basically like Trump says it's basically a love fest between the cops and the, um, and the, and the protesters, whatever. Um, nor do we do the inflation as much as you're, you know, True antagonists, because we don't really I, I think uh, apparently we disagree on, on some matter of degree of how scary this thing was and and what it portended about the nature of the right right now and threats to democracy in general. Um, so it's not like we're the threat <laughs> inflators and you're the threat, threat deflators that we want to argue with those people would be more fun for each of us, but we can't do it. um because instead, we got a bunch of reasonable people in a room to have a conversation. So I think, though, And so in some ways, I think what I was talking about early was more a response to the people who are very inclined to say it was basically a bunch of tourists walking around. You know, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't really violent. Um, It didn't have anything to do with any kind of broader right wing uh, politics in this country. It didn't have anything to do with Republican, uh, the Republican project, the the project of of the anti-democratic project, of the conservative movement. It didn't have anything to do with broader as as feeble as I agree they are the extant, you know, uh, extra parliamentary uh, forces of the right. It was connected to all these mobilizations that they have engaged in. They did engage in over the course of 2020. Again, not a great threat to, like, the regime, but they did happen. And anyway, we didn't want to deflate that in the way that some people have. And I think that so, so that... so that's just sort of clearing the air a little bit. But I think that um, one of the reasons... I get worried about that when I see it. And the, one of the reasons that I, I I sort of, there were moments in your piece that felt like that kind of motivated. We don't want to give, we don't want to arm the libs. We don't want to give them any more ammo for their campaign to empower the national security state. But I get worried about that is that, um, like, I think it's important that the left not evade the questions of uh, what is bad about the carceral state in general, and I think one of the things that I've been seeing happening on the right and with some people on the kind of contrarian left is like these these right wing people who stormed the Capitol are no big deal. That wasn't a big thing at all, um, and and it's terrible what's happening to them in prison, which it is, right. Um, without in the same breath saying, uh, and the right is wrong to say that like the regime allowed people to go crazy over the summer and um, riot in all the cities with no consequences, right? There were like tens and thousands of arrests. People were treated really badly in custody in those situations. And they're getting charged with things in some state, in some circumstances, lesser in some circumstances, more severe than people who stormed the Capitol. And I think that what I'm getting at is that our critiques of, the national security state of uh, the carceral response to like perceived emergency situations should be linked and rooted in our struggles, like rooted in the sort of world that we want and not just kind of like saying, uh, playing along with the rights narrative about, about one six, that it was no big deal and that these, and that, and that, and that these people are being targeted by the regime in a way that the black, protesters were not last summer um i guess what i'm saying is that like if we think if we think about this all in terms of this question of threat threat deflation or inflation again we evade evade the stakes which are the more important thing in a way like that uh, is sort of the most compelling thing about your article we need to talk about how should the left relate to democrats we need to talk about how this the, the left should relate to state power to carceral power, and how do we root our critiques of the what you know the liberal, administrative, bureaucratic behemoth in our struggles for i don't know I mean, depending on who we are, but like criminal justice reform or or prison abolition or whatever um, a, a a left horizon of, of decarceration and stuff like that. Um, and so I don't know, yeah.
0: Okay. So, so I, I guess one, one thing I'd say is, you know, you were talking about ways that things that you would regard as being deflated, uh, deflated. And you, you said not that big a deal and not that, you know, violent. And of course um, I mean, it is a big deal because I, I think that uh, I mean, I mean, I lay my cards on the table. What I, what I'd say it was, is a, um, is is a political riot it's you know which 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 is a big deal in itself that you know violence has been introduced into into a political um you know in into a political context uh and uh one thing that makes it much worse than than other political riots uh is that it wasn't an expression of frustration with genuine injustice uh it was a um it, it was a result of people who'd been whipped up to believe uh crazy lies right you know that they that really uh, that, that really that really Trump did win and he, he really won you know the popular vote and, and everything you know which is which is which is what these people had been told which by the way does relate to why I think that the people who know damn well that they're not going to win uh, that that you know that minoritarian you know strategy for taking power is going to be more favorable to them are much more of a threat than you know than people who you know are I don't know I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a word that's not rubes but you know who who, who, who believe this thing that is just has no basis in reality that like, actually they were defending, uh, defending democracy. But that said, if we're going to talk about how violent and how big a deal, I think that we do have to grapple with some of the empirical questions, right? Like, so uh, I mean, just, just, just really quickly uh, the um, we, we were, you know, for months uh, there was a lot of emphasis, a lot of emphasis on uh, the death of uh, Brian Sicknick, uh, who, you know, this was a big part of the articles of impeachment, uh, against, against Trump the second time. Uh, this was, this was really played up in a sensationalist way in months of, uh, of news coverage, uh, you know, initially saying that he was, uh, that, that he, he was bashed in the head with a fire extinguisher. And then, you know, when, when that was clear that that hadn't happened, there was some suggestion about chemical irritants. Uh, eventually, eventually the, the coroner said, no, this is natural causes. It's a heart condition. Now, I'm sure the stress of having to deal with a riot uh, exacerbated that. No doubt about that. But they, uh, but uh, I don't think in a different context, like one of the many riots where violent things did happen, and that is true. Right? It might be politically uncomfortable, but it is true. Last summer, you know that there, there were lots of violent things that happened at riots. That you know that that if an, a, a cop who had had a heart attack. Uh, partially that you know where what a contributing factor was the stress of that, right? I, I don't think we would be comfortable with calling that, you know, cop who's killed by the rioters. Uh, just re- just really quickly sure. to run through it, you know the the zip tie thing, which I think you guys did repeat in the episode, uh, but the, uh, the 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 people, the prosecutor, you know, who's who's trying the uh the, the zip tie guy, uh, now says, I mean, this is what the prosecutor says that this this is not somebody who, brought zip ties to the Capitol, you know, as, as part of a plot to detain people, that this is, that this is somebody who picked up uh, zip ties and the prosecutor said his motivation was probably to make it harder to detain, uh, detain rioters. Uh, the, uh, the, the person who, uh, even the person, I mean, Sicknick is the only person who, who was alleged to have been killed as a result of violence by rioters. Uh, intentional violence by rioters. Even the other person who was supposed to have been killed unintentionally by rioters, the one who was trampled, uh, the the coroner says uh, that they they actually had a uh, an overdose. Uh, that 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 was the uh, that was the uh, the cause of death. Uh, and to broaden outside of one six, something else you, you guys mentioned, uh, one of the the scariest pieces of evidence from before one six. Uh, was the plot uh, in my in my state to uh, to to kidnap uh, Gretchen Whitmer? Uh, certainly scared the hell out of me when I heard that. Uh, and now it seems like the vast majority of the plotters were FBI informants, uh, and they didn't actually have the the money on their own to to get guns. And the people they were going to buy guns from were also FBI. And increasingly, this sounds to me uncomfortably like the hundred cases. Of yeah, the which, war on terror, it's, it really, it it really, in which the FBI has found some lonely, mentally ill, you know, Muslim man and spent months convincing him to join a terrorist plot, and, and then, buying
2: him a car and shit.
0: Yeah, buy him a car and it's shit, exactly and then to a what about this terrorist plot that they foiled. You know, so 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 it so it does seem to me that whatever whatever you think is the correct level of threat assessment to do for the militia stuff at the end of the day. It does seem to me that it should be part of this conversation that that threat was widely inflated from where it action from like what it just objectively is.
2: I don't mean, I, mean I, I feel both ways because I, I on the day when I saw like the way it was like depicted on Twitter and the photos and stuff huh. I saw, I really was like, this doesn't seem like such a big deal. Because I didn't see, I just saw people walking around, you know, like the, obviously the zip tie stuff is less scary if we know they just grabbed them from a cop. Um, And I guess, I guess, I guess that, uh, yeah, then I think watching some of the stuff that came out afterwards, the sense of um, like deliberateness and the organization that was at work there amongst what we described as sort of a vanguard of the population of people who were there i mean there were like ten thousand people there but like only a few hundred were like showing up for a big fight and and with and some of whom seemed to have a plan to go into the capital um and uh so that kind of stuff i just didn't really know until later and that made me feel that in terms of we're, we're talking about degrees of reckoning threat it actually made it feel a little bit i saw a lot of q anon shaman before i saw like three
0: percenters Okay, because because i because i've been hearing like certainly most of the the left discourse i've been hearing right after and also it seems to be a lot of the mainstream media discourse was strongly conveying the impression that uh like the phrase armed was used over and over yeah over again and of course there were people there uh who had various kinds of homemade weapons also by the way not a disanalogy with other riots yeah yeah and we did uh but, just, but 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 also just to really quickly finish the point like uh the impression that you would have been given was of hundreds of people brandishing weapons yeah. uh and that's not at all the case that they uh that they, there are um like not only was the only weapon that was fired uh you know a by 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 a cop uh and you know we can argue about whether that was justified i'm not actually really super interested in that debate but they uh but um, the, the the other but not only was that the only weapon that was fired uh but you know but there there, you know don't seem to be a lot of examples of, of firearms even being being brandished uh in in the capital uh, which actually surprised me because you know right when it, it really
2: was hard. surprising yeah
1: could I, since we, I think we, we've got a, a back and forth and our points are made clear, I want to make a point. I'm curious. You could just ignore it. And then, Ben, you could edit this out when this goes on the feed. But like something that I've been thinking through a lot recently, you know, through my historical work, which is you know, takes a long time, a long to raise perspective, is that our era is really an era in which mass politics don't have the effect that they traditionally either had in the United States or or imagined to have in the United States. And to me, a lot of the discussion around these events really evinces a longing for a struggle, uh, uh, and Matt, you'll appreciate this: like a romantic fight that one could have in an unromantic world. Um, that you know, the, the, the diagnosis of fascism, the hashtag resistance, the diagnosis of an insurrection, gives essentially a a, a, a polity, a demos. That spends all of its time, uh, at least amongst the educated elites, which is frankly, who creates culture. So that's who we're talking about always. Um, The educated elite, it gives them a sense of meaning and purpose in in a world where they essentially have almost no effect on what actually happens in politics, in terms of the administrative state, in terms of the norms, in terms of the rulemaking, in terms of the actual structure of the constitution. So it seems like a lot of these debates are are so heated because people are searching For a meaningful politics in the absence of one, that this is not an age of mass politics,
3: and a lot of this sort of discussion reflects that.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting point.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with much of that. Um, I mean, a lot of the resist hashtag resistance stuff has been annoying, you know. But on the other hand, they're the people probably um, most willing to say, you know, we need to abolish the filibuster and pass. Uh, you know uh the senate needs to pass the legislation passed in the house to uh create a a genuine floor for voting rights
2: yeah hr
3: what is it uh hr1 hr1 yeah you know so so that's kind of like you know i i don't want to keep going back to your line the line in your jacobin piece about the um uh the most dangerous potential consequence being the uh well, that's uh, uh, security I, state, but I, I would kind yeah, of I say think, like I, think it, I
0: like, think it is worth going back to because I think that's what a lot of the critique is, yeah. is about. So yeah, please.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I don't know if I would, uh, and this is just kind of you know riffing now, but maybe I mean if I were to uh, want to rewrite that sentence, I would say the most dangerous potential consequence of the Capitol storming is not passing <laughs> a really robust voting rights legislation.
0: You know what I'm going to say, right? Go for it. I mean, I, I don't understand how that's a consequence of the capital storming, or or It's it's or even the capital
3: one... storming as as one event among many other, yeah. including so, so, in the months since. People saying, like state legislators saying, we're passing these restrictive voting rights bills because Trump had the election stolen from him, which was the eva- exa- exact motivation of the people who stormed the Capitol. I, I, so, this lie that Trump had the election yeah. stolen from him and the way it's been internalized in the Republican Party. I mean, I think you got, you admitted this earlier, but I do think it's really important that one of the things, uh, when you reference Sam Moyne and the idea of Trump washing, that like if we play this threat up too much it'll allow republicans who are really just as bad as trump to separate themselves from him the exact opposite has happened the republican party has beca- gone all in on the lie that trump actually had the election stolen from him because and, they think it'll and, help and, in the and it's and it's the the stated reasoning for passing many of these laws uh at the state level that restrict voting rights i, I so, think so, so I that, that's that's why i say like to me that, the one six event was important in its own right, but it also was one data point among many, starting with malicious stuff back in 2020, but going on to uh, st- uh, state level bills uh, passed in state legislatures across the country
0: restricting voting rights. So, so I know you don't want to consider one six in in isolation, but I I, th- I think maybe we can we can bring in a little bit of broader context at least to make this point that the uh, that if you want to say. Uh, the most dangerous consequence of um the the claim of, of like of like trump lying and saying the election was stolen uh is going to be these these uh these these bad voting bills in, in state legislatures then yeah i, I think we probably all agree with that uh the if but but certainly uh the most dangerous consequence of not just one six as an individual thing but of Right-wing militia activity in general is uh, the empowerment of the national security state due to the uh, the overplaying of the threat. In the same way that you know Al Qaeda uh, was uh, had an ideology that you know is um, you know well to the right of most of the people who stormed the Capitol, uh, and and is and 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 they killed three thousand people rather than zero. Uh but uh but still I think the most dangerous potential consequence of everything that Al Qaeda did all put together, uh not just nine eleven, was the empowerment of the national security.
2: The, yeah, the mass death of the forever wars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. I would I would agree with that. Um
3: I guess I, think, uh, I mean I'm partly saying one six wasn't like nine eleven in all kinds of ways.
2: Well, I mean, sure. I mean, no, I think it was just exactly the same.
3: Yes, I take the
2: one six and nine eleven were the same thing. thing. And if we don't treat them exactly the same, we love Trump.
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, we laugh, but there were, you know, I mean, Joe Biden saying what that one six was the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. That's probably not quite right, even if. (laughs) You know, no, no, it's, uh, it, 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 you kind of it, squint. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know. But I'm just saying, yeah. Like, uh, no, yeah. I mean,
0: it, it, no, that's that's, what that's, what that's
3: historically is. insane thing to say. It is insane. Yeah, I mean, that's just I mean,
0: ignorance. And we and we, and we can relate the two topics yeah. by saying that one of the many things uh, that's wrong and crazy about saying that 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 one six uh, was the greatest threat, you know, attack on democracy since the Civil War uh, is that, um, like. Hey, you know what was a, a much bigger attack on democracy uh, than um, than like eight hundred uh, lunatics, uh, you know, s- storming the Capitol. Some of them animated by insurrectionary fantasies, but none of them willing to go as far as to you know to fire weapons. Uh, you know what was a much greater threat to democracy than, the, than that? The actions of like the white citizens councils and in, uh, in the sixties, and you know, and and all of the people who no, actually murdered you know, voting rights workers, right? I mean, that was a much bigger threat no. to democracy, for example, than, you know, than 1-6 was.
3: But there is a line between point A and point B there, right? In some ways? In terms of the
2: motivations, character. you mean, Matt? In terms of the motivations? Yeah. yeah. Well, can I Are can I, I actually go...
3: Continuities, that's what I'm saying. There's, yeah. You know, wait, can wait, I go- yeah. Could you mind explaining that? I, I actually don't understand. I just mean there's been forces on the right for a long time that rejected multiracial democracy. Yes. And, uh, you know, they've been in their relationship to the mainstream right, the Republican Party, etc., has varied over the years. And I think one thing that worries me now is that, you know, uh, it, it, I mean, I said this on an episode of the podcast. There's a strange way in which um, uh, <laughs> like the, the resistance to the civil rights movement and desegregation was a more narrow like um, bad thing than rejection of majority rule per se
0: although, although and, if you're we talking about motivations that's certainly not what the rioters thought they were doing is rejecting majority rule uh
3: but i mean this is a long-standing theme we've talked about on the podcast and elsewhere just that you know the rights rejection of majority rule so all i'm saying is that there's a, a way in which like bigots in the south saying we don't want blacks to vote was a different kind of it's it's on a continuum with anti-democratic sentiments but it also there's a way in which i think what's happening now is in some ways a broader rejection of majority right. rule per se yeah it's very- I,
0: mean, I mean if you want to say that the people uh passing voting rights you know like like laws to make it harder to vote that there's a continuum in their motivations and motivations of the white citizens council types mm-hmm. in the sixties i'm with you uh if you even want to say that there's a continuity uh, in uh, the motivations um, of, uh, of the White Citizens Council types and uh, Trump uh, and uh, the, I don't know, Giuliani, to the extent that he still has, like, coherent thoughts and motivations or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, people like that, right? That they, who, people who presumably uh, were adults who know damn well that Trump didn't get more votes than Joe Biden did. Uh, but we're still we're still trying to stop Biden from being elected. Uh, then then yeah, I I I think I I then I can see your point, right? But then but it does seem like, uh, I mean, if you want to say that there's continuity in the motivations insofar as like any crowd of of intense zealous right wingers, there's tons of racist sentiments there. Then sure, but they uh but it seems like there's an important sense in which the motivations are very different. Uh, in in uh, in most for most of the one six uh, rioters, because there weren't people who knew that uh, Biden had gotten more votes uh, and and wanted to stop him from becoming president anyway. There were people who had been lied to and told that he did not get more votes.
2: Yeah, I okay. Uh, yeah, I think we're going. I think we're going around, going around, around. I mean, I think I think part of part of the slippage is that like, uh, I think Matt's talking about one six as like what it like portends and represents and what it means that trump was able to motivate people to do that and what and how what he was saying and that motivated them also motivates this other stuff so it's not a, like a direct like causal chain one six caused this that cause this cause this as opposed right. to it's a of sort course. of part of a symbolic ch- a chain of things that are related to each other in not strictly causal ways um but i yeah but i i thought danny your your point about like that there's a longing for mass politics that is expressed in the uh vitriol of and cosplay of the like resistance era is super interesting and i think like um like overall i'm like really sympathetic to that and i've often been thought that um Even even the idea on the left that says, like, well, it is fascism because they're worried about, like, the rising tide of the socialist movement. It's like, no, they're not. (laughs) Uh, It's not comparable. There is no, like, left politics that needs to be struck down by a by by, you know, a strategic allegiance between street violent uh, thugs and 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 capitalist elites. That's really not that has not been the situation here during uh, Trump, the Trump era. So I'm really sympathetic to that part of the fascism. And, and I think that
1: just also just relates to just very quickly, uh, Sam. I think that relates to my general thing is like I I think a lot of this stuff just misidentifies where power actually lies in this society. Yeah, and it's a lot of sturm und drang when it's kind of clear that the power lies in the federal state. The funny, I I've even seen like a lot of stuff on like the left. It's like defund the police, except the capital police. You know, and like a lot of people have been saying stuff that's effectively that, and to me, it just uh, it, it is yeah. just so indicative of a confusion about what we're actually doing here, right? And you I know, think I think
2: an interesting thing about the moment that we're in that we talk about with on the podcast a lot is that the the right, um, at least the the right with the most kind of intellectual ferment and that are the, actually the most interesting, attracting the most young people, um, they totally get that the administrative state is the only game in town and they're that all they want to do is take over state power and use it to enforce their own moral orthodoxy like they have no they have way fewer delusions than previous eras of conservatives that like you can like get in there and dismantle the whole state and like you know flush the government down the toilet. They want to take it over, use its extraordinary technocratic and coercive capacities um, to enforce their own idea of the good. And they're saying that very explicitly. So um, I think that's that's fascinating. That's something we focus on on the podcast very much more so than we focus on like QAnon, Shaman and militia politics and um, One Six and the question of whether Trump or or, or Trump is a fascist, fascist or not. Yeah, one what so, so, go ahead okay, right. I I was gonna make a different I was gonna make a different oh, point okay.
0: so. well before you make your different point right I I, I did just want to loop back to something Matt said uh because because he said that okay a lot of resistance types are annoying but they might be some of the people who care most about uh, abolishing the the filibuster and passing HR1 and all that stuff and and that's that's true I think that the uh, that, that that is something you know there aren't a lot of things I love about those people's politics, but 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 the, but that is certainly something I I, I agree with them on. Uh, the a um, another article I wrote for Jacobin this year was about the history of the filibuster and why it should be abolished. I Totally agree about all that. Uh, but, um, but 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 I, I I guess I'd I'd say like the, the way the dichotomy there is uh, okay. The um, the the positive is that they have these views about the Senate and you know voting rights. The negative is that they're annoying uh but like i think to for the purpose of this conversation it's important to note that like mm. another part of the negative is yeah that is a positive part of their politics uh that the on certain kinds of um questions of democratic procedure and you know uh in 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 the senate and 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 also just just in in mass voting there are better but like they're not just annoying these are also the people who have spent the entire um Trump era uh, exalting uh, the uh, the the national security state, uh, the CIA, the FBI, uh, and 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 they have gone into overdrive uh, on on that uh, since since one six right. So like for example, uh, just just to put a sharp edge on this by naming names right, like 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 Eli Bestel, uh one of the uh, you know like like one of the most prominent writers in in, in the nation who, uh, who who is somebody who has said a lot of stuff that I agree with on the first subject, uh, you know, that the Senate, et cetera. Uh, also, I uh, wrote an article for The Nation arguing that uh, uh, because of, you know, this is the point where people are still repeating, you know, the, the, the now debunked claim about Brian Sicknick, but because of Brian Sicknick's alleged murder, uh, every single person who stormed the Capitol on January 6th should be prosecuted for felony murder. Uh, and, uh, That's and, obviously insane. Okay, but I mean, like this—this this isn't like I'm picking With like rain, somebody from, from from from. It's not like I'm picking somebody who like tweeted at me, you know. Like, like yeah, you know, like yeah. This is the kind of thing that, that I well, think left. I, me, I, I think
2: this is a productive maybe place to close it out because it's interesting. The the status of the resistance is interesting. Um I definitely agree that there's a lot of people who are involved in that who more or less cheered for uh the intelligence community like the entire, <laughs> That's not the not entire... yeah no I know, I know i know i know i know i know yeah um but you know this is it's something that i've thought about i was thinking about before in coming to this conversation is like the character of the anti-trump movement or f- faction mobilization um you know uh there's obviously there was always a fear that was sort of expressed sometimes explicitly or implicitly in the fascism debate that it, if, if you overstate Trump's uh, uniqueness and his danger, then you, you force this popular front politics. It means that um, the left has to, uh, and you guys talk about this in your piece, um, the, the left has to s- stop emphasizing its goals, its battle with liberal elites uh, and pipe down and just participate in this process to unseat this fascist, uh, terrible fascist danger. Um, and that, that if we, yeah, so, and I, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to that critique for sure. Um, I think what's interesting about the resistance is that, is what Matt points to is that the Democrats have become over the course of the Trump era, like, uh, more, uh, convinced of the necessity for like structural reforms, like getting rid of the resistance people, like are more convinced of these sort of structural reforms, getting rid of Barely. Barely.
1: Come on. I mean, barely. I think, I think actually quite significantly. But we could problem. just
2: argue, we could go, we could go. I, th- I think significantly. Okay. It's hard to
0: your larger point.
2: Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I've thought about is like, um, what would the alternative have been for the left? Because we're, you know, I agree with Danny that like, Mass politics in this era doesn't have a huge amount of influence. Um, Therefore, in some ways, these kind of discursive debates uh, between the Jacobin and the nation have even less capacity, capacity influence one thing or the other. Um, So but but then I think, like, what should the what should the left's posture have been vis-a-vis Trumpism, if not what happened? Right. Because in a way, I think there there was a popular front in so far. It's not like not not. Because the analogy is imperfect, but in the way that you guys feared that there would be, where the left participates kind of in trying to defeat Trumpism, um, Bernie doesn't win, um, you know, uh, it wasn't the case that like, there was a huge faction of leftists, either with a platform or who were in in elected office who took your position, who, who took the sort of like, it's not fascism, don't worry position right almost no none of them did that uh, bernie didn't do that you know bernie called him a crypto fa- fascist or whatever he called him he called yeah, him yeah. He, he called him yeah so um the, the question is i guess my question is the comment is in some ways i'm more or less my instinct is that that was probably the only thing to do like that it was the only game in town that the nature of the anti-trump Uh, discourse was helped by the fact that leftists were participating actively in it that it expanded the horizons of what it meant to be anti-Trump because there was a moment where actually liberal elites wanted to normalize Trump right and then a lot of people were like no this is actually really bad most of those people were like left you know left of the mainstream media liberal class right um and there, the instinct to isolate Trump from the the rest of the Republican Party. The reason that hasn't really stuck is because the left was really participating in this conversation about what Trump represents and how bad he is, you know. Like, and like people like and, and even the the anti democratic stuff, like the the pro democracy stuff. I think because the left was like, okay, we're we also hate Trump. We're going to try to shape this discourse. It's it helped that they did what they did. And I really, it's really hard for me to conceive of. Uh, a way for uh, like the very small number of people who are like identifiably the left flank of the Democratic Party to have participated in this in the Trump era without being part of the resistance, more or less, while trying to shape it in a direction of having a lot higher political horizons, sh- pointing to more discontinuity between Republicans previous to Trump and rooting it in kind of a broader critique of like i don't know neoliberalism racial capitalism and so on like
1: i mean i think those are all well taken and i think it's a good question i mean i start from the assumption that the left is barely a political force uh in the country in in any in any way um in any meaningful way whether in any of the institutions the associations or the official government structures so i mean the, the the starting point for me is at least getting the uh the power structure of the United States accurately, uh, like accurately identifying where power really resides in this society and going from there. Um, I think the major problem is this, that capital has effectively totally reshaped labor relations in this country to make it virtually impossible to, to uh, build the social solidarity on one which uh, upon which organization relies, which necessarily pushes the left into a more technocratic uh, politics,
0: I, which is why brown shirts would be so spectacularly redundant right now. <laughs>
1: Um, and, so, uh, and so I think there's a lot of um, really significant problems, but to me is to, to, to locate where power actually is, locate what the enemy actually, know, know your enemy, uh, as the case may be, know, know who your enemy really is. And it's not the rump far right. It's the people who, you know, dominate the world and, and as a humanist that make life for millions of people abroad horrible. And, and that's, the, that's, the, I, that's the enemy. And the enemy is the, like lowercase liberal state.
0: So 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 I want to um like jump in on what Sam said about the popular front question uh which, which is which is tricky because like um you you know one thing that i I, uh, I I mentioned that we well we mentioned, but it was about me in the piece uh, since I'm the one who lives in a swing state, you know, Danny's a coastal elitist uh, is uh, is that um you know i I voted for biden um I uh, canceled. Um, Cancelled,
2: leave the left excommunicated
0: uh, you know not because i thought he was a fascist i voted i voted for not because i thought trump was a fascist but because i thought he was a republican and you know that they uh, that that as a republican he would do the things that republicans do he'd appoint union busters to the national labor relations board you know etc uh but uh but but uh, if you go i do think there's a concern about uh that the you know some people on the left underplaying the significance of of our differences with the liberal elite because they're overplaying the differences between the liberal elite and trumpism but but if you but if you don't think that right if you think what sam just said that it's it's like a really good thing uh that there was this sort of popular frontist mindset on and so much of uh of the left because uh because 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 the
2: alternative is just complete self-marginalization like danny's Danny's right the left has no power really uh they have like we have three people in congress who can't really even do Fairly. anything.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, they can't really do anything. Um I'm happy that they're there. I support them. I think they're good people. But like uh yeah so 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 what happens if like Bernie and AOC are like, don't worry about it. It's not fascism. Trump's not so bad. It's just the same thing as George W. Bush. Like that actually I don't think that's a better scenario for us. Well that's we messaging a really,
1: politics, right? I mean I think you guys are
2: doing messaging model politics. The whole thing is about whether the bottle, discourse.
1: Message oh. in the bottle. Like the idea is that at this moment, all we can do is model a good politics for the Zoomers who are super fucking pissed off. And we should try to not associate them uh, or have them associate with a little there
0: are two right. questions, right? Like what's what's the good that could have been done by uh by, by the left um you know having
2: yeah, like letting you guys write what? the speeches for the left. Sure, sure,
0: sure. Yeah. Uh, which okay, first of all, um even though I don't like the, the, the extent to which Bernie adopted resistance politics, I do not think that the alternative that the better alternative would be having to have Bernie's speeches be written by me and Danny. I don't think that'd be a good <laughs> idea. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I think honestly, you know, hot take. I think that the, uh, I think that the, uh, that the sort of um, the left, as a, um, in the larger sense, uh, probably had too big a role in the birdie campaign and that the, uh, they would have been better off, you know, with, 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 uh, with more mainstream, uh, uh, you know, campaign, uh, campaign staffers in some cases, but, um, But where would all the podcasts be? Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you, uh, you know, nobody, nobody who ever had a podcast should have, should have had a job in the birdie campaign, but, uh, the, um, so, so I, I I don't advocate that, but then the other half of the question is the good you say that was done by the left uh, having this popular frontist sort of model, because even though we're so marginal, at least by being part of the resistance discourse, we were able to, to, to lead it in better directions, and and this is a way that I think you could see the force of the danger of, uh, of of playing up sort of fascist or you know insurrectionary uh, threats. By looking at like the difference between resistance discourse a few years ago, when I think it could have been plausibly seen as being more shaped by left concerns, and uh, resistance discord- discourse since 1-6, right? That uh, resistance discourse a few years ago, there's uh, a lot of stuff there about abolishing ICE, uh, or at the very least about the horror of kids in cages, etc., uh and resistance discourse now uh you know it has has been i mean granted even then that coexisted with a lot of exaltation of other parts of the national security state but resistance discourse now a lot of it's about you know oh these 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 domestic extremists you know pose pose such a um such a big threat you know uh which 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 seems like a a shift in in the wrong uh direction but uh i have we are, we are at nine 30, which is when we said we were going to leave. So, uh, so, so why don't we, um, there is one quick question What I want to close it out with, but I, I think it would be extremely bad form for, uh, for, for either me or Danny to have the, uh, the last word on the, um, the, the subject that's been under discussion.
3: Well, Nat, do you want to say anything? Yeah. I would just say, uh, you know, to kind of reiterate a few points I made along the way that there's a, um, you know, I voted for Joe Biden, even though I live in New York State, and I did so, you know, holding my nose a bit. But my hope was that, you know, uh, electing enough Democrats would mean that maybe we do something like abolish the filibuster, pass H.R. 1 and like shore up voting rights and like have the infrastructure of democracy, however tenuous it is, shore it up a bit. And my main concern right now is that that still hasn't happened and it doesn't seem likely to happen. And that's what really worries me. Uh, Kind of taking the long view that like we're really getting to a point where majoritarian multiracial democracy, it existed kind of for 40 or 50 years. And I'm not sure what its future is like, given the raft of bills uh, at state legislatures across the country and the unwillingness of Democrats in Washington to really step up and thwart those by creating at least a a decent floor for voting rights. So, you know, I, I have to admit a lot of my thinking about this whole period. Uh, from kind of the election in 2020 through where we're at now was driven by longstanding structural concerns about our already anti-democratic constitution meeting the kind of buzzsaw of uh, geographic uh, polarization, you know, urban rural divides, uh, you know, kind of the, the already anti-democratic structure of our constitution meeting certain demographic trends and this just meaning that like Republicans who get like 42% of the vote can run the country and, you know, that's and then trying to cling to power. That's when you get, I think, some of the really dangerous authoritarianism, maybe even the F word uh, that arises, you know. So so to me, that's that's uh, just for a list. People who have hung with us this whole time. That kind of the rights threat to majoritarian rule democracy and how I kind of see that playing out the past few months from Trump's loss in November through the his lies about the landslide election being stolen from him through January sixth, through the raft of state level legislation across the way. That's my big concern. And the only reason I'm kind of uh, willing to like engage Democrats kind of mainstream politics is because I hope that maybe we can pass some legislation that like restores some semblance of majority rule. And that would at least be a beginning from which, you know, we can start again and hopefully build something. Um yeah.
2: I'll, I'll just say one thing that sort of like synthesizes that with one with with Danny's abiding point about the where the power in this and really resides in our uh, country uh, and in the world is that I, I think that's it's really well taken and it's a it's a thing it's a kind of it's a it's a disavowed reality by both parties in many instances and um so on the one hand I think it's important to consider that uh, that even if we do manage to maintain or even claw back or maybe, or get a little further into having a more a genuinely Democrat representative democracy at the level of voting, um, that doesn't mean that we immediately then have the capacity for the popular will of the people to be rep, to be represented in the policies that are pursued by the executive. And uh, that's an abiding problem that, problem remains and uh that's why I I think it's it actually is very important for the left um to have a critique of and a, a deep understanding um of of, of how that's an anti democratic uh situation which which we abide um to different degrees. And uh so I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, I don't know. Should Read Danny Bessner and uh, get some good ideas about how power really works. Um, but yeah, it's good to it's 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 been good to talk to you guys. All
0: right. Uh, so uh, the the remaining question that I alluded to, um, which we can do very quickly, is um, so this is anachronistic because uh, because these people I'm about to refer to were from the late '90s and uh, early 2000s. But um, had they been there for it? Um, Everybody's sitting in the in the uh, the back room at the bada bing or the pork store, and uh, and like Bobby Bacala or somebody has the newspaper out, and he's and he's reading a report about one six, and you know they voted just- for Trump anti-insurrection. That's it. Or okay. right. right. right.
1: against democracy, but they all voted for Trump. That's where I'm from. 100 percent fact <laughs> that tri-state area.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I mean. You know, you gotta, you gotta imagine Polly Walnuts with his, you know, kind of two finger things. That you know, I voted for Trump, but these guys,
1: disgraceful, disgraceful. Yeah. Tony, Cali- yeah, Tony, have you heard about this QAnon shaman? I I'm really fucking weirded out by this guy. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, no, they would not. They would have not. They all Trump voters or didn't vote. Probably most of them because they had records. Um, and then, uh. But Anti-castle. the
0: who voted, like Carmella, for sure, voted for Trump. Oh, 100%. oh yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. But she might have
0: voted for Obama
1: the first time.
0: Yep. I can,
3: I, oh,
1: yeah, definitely.
3: I, I'd like definitely. to believe her priest convinced her of the truth of Catholic social teaching, and she voted for <laughs> Joe Biden over Trump. <laughs> yeah, she read some. <laughs> I doubt polls. it. I know. I doubt it
0: too. But <laughs> all right, um, all right. Thanks good. for having us. Fair enough. Uh, thanks, thanks for doing this. I think this, I, I think this actually clarified a lot. Uh, We we do disagree on some things, but I I do think that there is a larger scale sense of where there might be some talking past each other. And and I think there are things being emphasized on both sides that the other side actually agrees with. But um, um, we have some
2: disagreements, but they're only ontological.
0: (laughs) Oh, right. only <laughs> ontological disagreements uh, my, uh, my, my favorite kind uh, so um, uh, anyway uh, thank you guys uh, people should uh, check out Danny's new podcast uh, with Derek That's Davison nice. uh, American Prestige uh, everybody should be listening uh, to uh, to uh, Know Your Enemy um, what can I say you guys were a pleasure to have in class
3: <laughs>
0: you had that one prepared thanks perfect